he's gay. I mean, he's gay, excuse me, he's blind. If you're at lunch, or if you have no appetite, now is a good time to switch off the radio. It will not be pleasant listening. Welcome to the Lawrence Ross Show. You sound a little taller on radio. A two-hour weekly exploration into the mind of a man who calls it like he sees it, but he can't see his audience. So what if I'm blind? At least I don't have to look at your ugly face. Want to interact with this fool? You need a fucking Call or text the comment line. 813-602-2715. Hope you enjoy the program, because no refunds will be issued. And we'll do it live. I took a course in Hallelujah. I went to night school for the blues. Well, I took some stuff that said work. The Lawrence Ross Show. What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in on this beautiful Friday, April the 30th. 813-602-2715. But first, as is tradition. Welcome, welcome one and all to the program. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to give me a call tonight, I'd love to hear from you tonight. 813-602-2715 or you can text or call one of the two. It doesn't matter to me, just just as long as we interact and we're having a great time. That's the important thing. Uh, If you don't want to uh, call in or text, you can always tweet uh, twitter.com forward slash blind Lawrence. You can also check out the Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash L Ross 1987. And where is it? No. Chair scrape. No. There we go. I probably should have had that queued up earlier. But at any rate. Anyway, I just want to say thank you to a brand new uh, person who liked the page. Thank you to Lemmy Winks for liking the page. That is that's the that is the Facebook username this individual has elected to go with. So that is what I will be addressing him as from this point forward. And there's an interesting little bit of history in regards to this gentleman's uh, username, and it's going to go into a little thing I'm going to be chipping away at over the over the next I don't know how many weeks. How many weeks I'm going to be doing this, but I'm going to be shining a spotlight on the people who've been able to make me laugh for many, many years. Showing my appreciation as a fan of someone's work, as my way of saying, hey, thanks for making me laugh. Thanks for making me think. Thanks just for just for being there. Uh, but at any rate, so uh, so the story of Lemmy Winks. Lemmy Winks 
At one time, he was the class gerbil in South Park. And so, to give you a little bit of a backstory in regards to this character, and, and, then, and, then, this, and then it'll all come together as to why I'm playing this clip from South Park. Uh, one of the characters on the show is a guy named Mr. Garrison. He is uh, very, he's very flamboyant. Uh, he started out heterosexual teacher with a puppet named Mr. Hat. And then he broke up and then he left Mr. Hat for a guy named Mr. Twig. And then Mr. Twig came back and then Mr. Hat came back. And so Garrison, he has a lot of, uh, he has a lot of struggles. He struggles with his homosexuality. He wasn't, he was, he would always, anytime anybody would call him gay, his reaction was very visceral. His reaction was, what, what in the hell are you talking about? I am not gay. I can't do that impression all that well. Uh, but anyway, he, so he was, so throughout the course of the season, so throughout the course of the show, he is the third grade teacher for the main kids on South Park. Then he leaves. When the kids go to fourth grade, he goes on to the kindergarten class. And he's in the kindergarten class. He's, he's doing what he can, but it's just, it's not working out. And he read this article about how the school board can award somebody if they get fired for being openly homosexual. So that's what Mr. Garrison wants. He's he's happy as a clam to be getting out of the kindergarten course and going to fourth grade. So he go so he shows up in the fourth grade classroom and the main kids are there. And you would think, okay, this is gonna be cool having Mr. Garrison back on the show as the kids' main teacher. You know, he had a good dynamic with the uh, with the cast of characters in that in that room. He brought in this new assistant, guy named Mr. Slave. Who's this dominatrix guy who's in like a leather kind of a thing? I think. I'm not exactly sure. But what I do know is this. And I forgot just how brutally, just how brute just how brutal some of the scenes were. And so there's like 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 there's a scene where Garrison's trying to teach something and he spanks Mr. Slave on the ass with something. And so that doesn't work. So, in an effort to get fired, what he does is he tells the class, okay, class, this is the class gerbil Mr. Lemmywinks. And he says, all right, now I'm going to explain to you how, and I think it was endothermic reaction. I think that's what he was uh, trying to explain. He was, he was, I, I think he was, or, or maybe he was just trying to, accentuate the homosexual stereotype of the gerbil going up there <laughs> that's just the stereotype i didn't come up with it i didn't create it i didn't uh think of it none of that I, i'm uh, this is just what i've heard so 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 after lemmy winks gets put in this tube and he crawls inside mr slave's rectum <laughs> but that that's the subplot of the episode the main plot of the episode is the parents are trying to get the kids to learn about tolerance because when they, because when their parents asked them what it was like having Mr. Garrison back in your class, the kids were like, oh, he was very gay, and the te- and the parents were and the parents were outraged. They were like, children, we've taught you better than to be so discriminatory towards people who are homosexual. 
uh, you're going to the, you know, we're going to straighten you kids out. You're going to learn about tolerance. So they end up at this place called the Death Camp of Tolerance. It's the name of the episode. And what they're basically made to do is they're made to make pictures that display tolerance. But the way that it's done, the guy directing them, he's like this German guy. Work faster. Work faster. Work faster. That whole thing. So, so while that's going on, we got this subplot of Lemmy Winks. He's crawling around in Mr. Slave's rear, and here's basically how it goes. And, 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 and whoever did this, great job to them because they spliced it all together to make it seem incredibly seamless. Here we go. Okay, let me turn that down just a little bit. Okay, let me turn that down. There we go. There we go. Okay, here we go. You must find your way out of this place or you will surely die. <laughs> this way has been closed off by the great sphincter. <laughs> oh, geez, you know, it's 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 so wild because he's 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 this little gerbil trying to try to find his way out, and who knows what else is in there. And I I I I'm anyway, continuing. You must journey upward through the dark reaches of the intestine and past the stomach. <laughs> who am I? Just a friend. Heed my words, Lemmy Winks. Your time is running out. Make for the large intestine. All will be made clear then. I'm not exactly sure, you know, I'm not exactly sure what animal that's supposed to be. I'd, I'd, I'd have to look it up on, I don't know, I'd have to look it up somewhere. But either way, try and picture this little gerbil, this little cartoon gerbil, crawling inside a cartoon man's tuchus, and he's deep within the innards. A great adventure is waiting for you ahead. Hurry onward, Lemmy Winks, or you will soon be dead. <laughs> the journey before you may be long and filled with woe, but you must escape the gay man's ass so your tale can be told. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, as, so, as we continue. Lemmy Winks, Lemmy Winks, Lemmy Winks, Lemmy Lemmy Winks journeyed a distance far and fast To find his way out of a gay man's ass The road ahead is filled with danger and fright But push onward, Lemmy Winks, with all of your might Lemmy Winks, you are coming to the entrance of the small intestine There you must seek out the Sparrow Prince The Sparrow Prince lies somewhere way up ahead Don't look back, Lemmy Winks, or you'll soon be dead Lemmy Winks, Lemmy Winks, the time is growing late. Slow down now and seal your fate. I am the Sparrow Prince. All right, yeah. So, 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 so at that point, so at that point, he made it to the small intestine, and he's and he's just encountered the Sparrow Prince. Long has my spirit been trapped within this place. <laughs> which, 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 which can which can only lead me to ask, you know, what 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 kind of stuff is Mister Slave into? Before you lies the maze of the small intestine. One path leads to the stomach, the other to certain doom. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't want to know where that other path lead, leads, but I don't think I should ask. Take with you this helmet and torch. Let them be your guide. <laughs> How's a helmet and torch going to help you out if you're in there? I don't know. I mean, the torch may be to light your way, but the helmet, what's the point of the helmet? 
Take the magic helmet torch to help you light the way There's still a lot of ground to cross inside the man's okay Ahead of you lies adventure and your strength still lies within Freedom from the ass of doom is the treasure you will win <laughs> Yeah, so, so, but, so, so so basically now there's some sort of incentive like if like if he like if he's able to get out of this one okay then he gets some sort of prize here we go all right i think he's in his i think he's in mr slave's uh intestines now i think letting rings came to the stomach dog the depths of the lungs and heart. You chose your path wisely, Lemmy Winks. I am the Katata fish. <laughs> the Katata fish. That's a, that's a strange animal. Katata fish. Hmm. Katata fish of the stomach's cove. <laughs> wow. Trey and Matt, man. These guys are crazy, but this is why I like them. Exactly why I like him. I'll be expl- I'll, I'll be uh I'm explaining my whole uh reason as to why Trey and Matt make me laugh in a little bit. But first, I'll finish this up. If you answer this riddle, the esophagus will let you pass. Katata fish's riddle will soon be told. Lemmy Winks has made it out. The tale is nearly through. Okay, now okay, now I'm starting to wonder what what is what what. What was the riddle? <laughs> and the guy going, ooh, ooh, that was Mr. Slay, by the way. That's him going, ooh, and he's known for his catchphrase, oh, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Nearly through. Great job, Lemmy Winks. Thanks to you, we are all free. <laughs> they're, ba- they're basically just a bunch of animals that Mr. Slave stuck in, it, stuck in his rear end for many years, I guess. And I guess, and I guess Lemmy Winks crawling out, I guess, mate, we got them free. But your adventures are just beginning. For you are no ordinary gerbil, Lemmy Winks. Uh, you are the gerbil king. <laughs> the gerbil king. <laughs> that's great. And they give him like a crown too. I, I, I think they give him like a little crown. At least that's what I can gather. Anyway, let's wrap the little ditty up, shall we? Oh, hail the, the gerbil king. king. <laughs> King. Wow. <laughs> oh jeez. Alright. Woo. Alright, well, again, thank you to Lemmy Winks on Facebook for liking the Lawrence Raw Show page. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. Up to 460. So thank you all very much. <clears throat> much appreciated. Now I want to get into uh well the main reason as to why uh Trey Parker and Matt Stone, why 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 I enjoy their uh why I enjoy their comedy, what got me into them, um, stuff like that. So, <clears throat> TV show South Park, I'd never, I'd never seen a full episode until May of 98, it was, and I had heard, I heard various people talk about it, uh, uh, 
like I'd heard, uh, like I heard people at my school were talking about it. Uh, uh, the uh, radio show I used to listen to, the MJ and BJ Morning Show, MJ frequently mentioned it. He uh, um, uh, yeah, he enjoyed it. Uh, he'd, he'd, he'd often play clips of it on his program. As a matter of fact, as, as a matter of fact, it was that show where I first heard this drop from Mr. Garrison. Holy poop on a stick! <laughs> and, 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 I, and I remember MJ described it as that's that new. Uh, he said something to the. He described it as like a new drop from Comedy Central that he and Hurricane really enjoyed. Hurricane was this guy in the show, and so so periodically I'd hear him. Uh, so so periodically they they played on the air. Holy poop on a stick! So he would talk about it, and then I remember one night at my grandma's, she had Comedy Central. Yeah, it was scrambled, but I was able to make out what the heck it was. And so I land on so I land on uh, Comedy Central this one evening. It was it, it, and it just happened to be a Saturday night, so that that so, so it all worked out. So like so I could check out the show. So, um, and so I, so I caught like, uh, uh, so I joined like, ugh. so I joined this one episode about few minutes in progress, but I already knew what it was because, because there's a couple of the voices. I'm like, oh, found South Park. It was the episode where Officer Bar Brady he resigns from the police force because he can't read, and. And he's tasked with trying to figure out who's been making love to all these chickens around South Park. <laughs> so it's very, very, very strange indeed. But yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know, I've, 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 I've always enjoyed the uh, the very subver- uh, the very subversive humor of the uh, of Trey Barker and Matt Stone. Uh, the very first, like, usually, like, thing that made me want to watch South Park was there was. Uh, uh, one of the radio stations had played a remix they did of the Titanic song "My Heart Will Go On," and it was and it was one clip from the Titanic movie where the guy goes, "I ready to go back to the, I ready to go back to Titanic," and then it's and then it's just intercut with South Park and things about Barbara Streisand and uh, all this other stuff. I'm like, wow, uh, I'd uh, I check out the show. One of these days sounds like fun, and a lot of my friends have talked about it, so I like to check it out. And so eventually, I uh, got a chance to check it out. Really enjoyed it, and then over time, I started uh, collecting this stuff. Got uh, got the the uh, couple of the VHSs for Christmas. Yeah, I'm dating myself because it was Christmas of '98, and I got four VHS tapes. I got Volume One in my stocking, and I got four, five, and six all under the tree. And it's so wild because it said because because it, it's so wild because it said on the packaging made in China, <laughs> or maybe it said it on the wrapping. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> but all I know is that I was I, I was hooked on the show. I would I, w- I would watch, I would watch the episodes on on tape as as much as I could. Watched them frequently, and then uh, <clears throat> over time, really started getting into. Uh, you know the shows being able to keep uh, being able to keep up what what with be what with having Comedy Central and things of that nature. So it was so it was you know so it was really cool to be able to catch up on the show and read up on it and the other stuff Trey and Matt are into. Uh, like for example, I had no idea that they were tapped to do a sequel to Dumb and Dumber, but then they uh, uh, <clears throat> but then they moved on to something else. And uh, South Park they're not only known for that, but they're also known for something called Alfred Packer the Musical, which was about a guy who 
Uh, he ended up cannibalizing his friends, and uh, so it was called Cannibal the Musical, which I saw, which was pretty funny. Then they did a movie, uh, Basketball in 98, which they which they have said they don't like. And they're the creators of that movie, so that's kind of weird. And uh, let's see. Uh, they also got the Book of Mormon, which I thought was great. And then they did uh, Team America World Police, the, uh, the movie with uh, puppets, which a uh, friend of the show, Phil Hendry, has been on that. Uh, was in that movie. He played the Chechnyan terrorist, and he also played uh, Intelligence, the computer. <clears throat> All right, 813-602-2715. Uh, getting into the uh, personal recap. So Friday night, not all that much. Just basically just hung out and just checked out. And just uh, so a- so after doing the show, I basically listened to the show again for uh, quality, you know, that sort of thing. And then, well, and the only thing I really noticed was that... Uh, the first few minutes of last week's episode were a little bit quieter than uh, than they usually are. I, I I don't know why it was, but that's just how it turned out. But uh, so so if you're listening in the archives, you're wondering why is there a bit of an audio spike? Well, that's because I don't know. It's just like, I don't know what happened there. But uh, <clears throat> set on uh, <clears throat> and then on Saturday, not all that much. And then Sunday was a laundry day. And then uh, well, work has been work. Really, isn't all that much to. Uh, tell you other than other than uh, uh well uh um did some grocery shopping uh the other day and oh, dang it you know i gotta keep a lock on this dang door jeez oh, <clears throat> yeah stewie what do you want hello there blind man how you doing today good you haven't had any kidney stones, have you? Uh, no. Why is 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 it be, is it because of the twenty four? Is it is it because of the four twenty four packs of uh, Pepsi? Yep, that's right, man. You're gonna be you're gonna be hold on on a stretcher, and you're gonna be getting a catheter for Christmas, man. And it's not gonna be fun. You're gonna be having dialysis on Valentine's Day of next year. And you're going to be in a diabetic coma come St. Patrick's Day of 2022. Luck of the Irish. Ha! Wow, you're a little, man, you're a little testy today, man. Is, uh, yeah, but anyway. Oh, jeez. All right. You know, there really isn't all that much in regards to uh, the sports world, I noticed. There's like, there, there was the NFL draft, which... I would like to comment on this. You know, you know, everyone, you know, everybody says that the commissioner always gets booed at the draft. And I do not know why Roger Goodell even still has a job. His mishandling of Ray Rice initially should not have even come to fruition. He should not have only suspended him for two games, then changes, then suspend him after the backlash. If you're trying to put a good image to your brand, if you're trying to absolve yourself of any sort of issue, then wouldn't you yourself try to make some sort of concerted effort to maybe, I don't know, just maybe 
deal with the wife beating fuck the first time. That's right. I just called a Ray Rice. I just called Ray Rice a wife beating fuck, cause that's what he is. That's what he was, and that's what he will always be associated with. I don't care if he scrubs the elderly and makes them smell like daffodils. Once a woman beating fuck, always a woman beating fuck. He should have gone to jail for the rest of his damn life. No parole. None. Some people don't deserve redemption. And people who beat up women, definitely in that category. Absolutely in that category. If Roger Goodell, if he had any balls, if he truly had balls, he would have told Ray Rice, go fuck yourself, get out of my league, you woman-beating piece of trash. Baltimore doesn't want you, nobody wants you. Get out of my office, you Chris Brown fuck. That's what he should have done. But he pussied out. He pussied out, gave him two games, and then only after the backlash, after the backlash was when he realized, oh, I really fucked up. He should have banned Roger Good. I mean, he should have banned Ray Rice for life from ever, ever playing a down of football. So much as even touch football or even Pop Warner football to help out. Fuck Ray Rice. I hope he never plays a down of football again, that woman-beating son of a bitch. He should be behind bars for life, that woman-beating piece of shit. Him and Chris Brown. Him and Chris Brown should be in a cell butt-fucking each other after they drop the soap because they're woman-beating fucks. And that's all they are. All they are. Sons of bitches. Fuck both of them. Fuck them. Chris Brown's music sucks, by the way. (laughs) It's all had in regards to sports, really. (laughs) I really wish I had more, but I don't. What else do I got on the docket here tonight? Let's see. Okay. Well, let's see. Okay, let's see. I got some stuff. One, two, three, four, five, six, five. All right, I got to. All right, all right, all right, okay. All right. Now, on to something else that's really pissing me off lately. And this has been festering. For years and years. And I expressed my disgust with this back in the day. And it's reared its ugly head again. Back in 2013, remember when Geico had those, had that ad campaign of happier than so-and-so, happier than this, that, and the other? And it was an alright campaign. It wasn't lousy. It wasn't 
great. It was, it was okay. It was, you know, there were a few, a few fairly good commercials. They were kind of funny, kind of cute. But then, but then it happened. Some asshole decided to come up with the most annoying, grating, childish, bullshit commercial ever, ever. It's the one with that camel jumping around and going to his co-workers and obnoxiously asking them, hey, what day is it? What day is it? Like an idiot, like an absolute idiot. Like a moron. That's what he is. A moron. And then one of and then one of his coworkers just sighs and goes, it's hump day. And then what does this camel do? He starts jumping around the office like a jackass. Like an asshole. If I'm the boss of that company, I'm pulling him aside and I'm saying, in my office, now. This is a serious workplace. We have standards we need to meet. And you, jumping around the office, saying hope day like a, like a fucking moron. I'm not tolerating that shit. Pack your fucking shit up. Get the fuck out of the office. This is a right to work state. You act professional. Don't come into this office building and jump around saying, it's up day. Fucking moron. Get the fuck out of my office. That's what I would do if I was the boss of that company. You come in here, you work. Don't dick around, all right? We have stuff we got to get done. Do you still want to get employed here? Do you want to get paid? Don't act like an asshole. That's what that camel is. He's an asshole, but nobody will fucking say it. So nowadays, I got to endure media personalities on Wednesdays who obnoxiously say, it's up day. That makes me not want to listen to your radio program or check out your TV show, whatever the fuck it is that you do. You start throwing in that hump day crap. Oh, it is over. How the fuck am I supposed to take you seriously when people use childish lingo? Man up, damn it. It's Wednesday. Wednesday, not hump day. And if I ever get a, and if I ever am able to parlay this into a daily thing and I'm able to do a radio show, I'm laying down the law. On Wednesdays, if you call in and you say happy hump day, you're getting hung up on and you're banned from calling into the show for life. Hump day. Fucking childish. And it should have never have been thought of. Just because you can reinvent the English language doesn't mean that you should. It is just so frustrating. What is our mental age? Five? In my adult life, I have never 
never, never said to anybody on a Wednesday, hey, happy hump day. I just say, hey, how's it going? That kind of stuff. I'm a normal man. I don't say stupid shit like hump day. Cut the bullshit with that. Fucking hump day. Fuck you. It's Wednesday. That's the way I learned it. That's the way everybody else learned it. Don't try and get cute and say hump day. Morons. Absolute morons. What else do I got in the chamber here? Oh, wait. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I did not mean to play that. I meant to play something else. <clears throat> oh, wait. And I do... Uh, uh, oh, wait. You know, I did... Uh, I did that back earlier. Earlier, I didn't have anything else left for uh, sports. But I actually do. It's, uh, uh, <clears throat> it's a fun little thing. It's... Uh, well, because tomorrow is the running of the Kentucky Derby. Figure I can go, figure I can go and uh, run this. This is uh, this is this one's been circulating on the internet for years and years and years, and I don't know who originally did it. Uh, but it's uh, hey, look, funny is funny, and, and then and then for that I have one that's kind of man, not so good. It's about uh, the pandemic. So anyway, here's here's the original about the horse race. Welcome to the third race at the Honeymoon is Over Nouns. They're at the gate, and they're off. Jumping out in the lead is Romance and Affection. <laughs> domestic Bliss in close behind. It's Romance and Affection and Domestic Bliss. Here comes Marriage Vows, followed by Immediate Child. Romance and Affection falling off quickly. Mortgaged up the ass, overtaking Domestic Bliss. And here comes Nasty Attitude, followed by more children and drinking heavily. Drinking heavily, moving in front of Mortgaged up the ass. Coming in strongly outside is Credit in Shambles. It's Credit in Shambles, followed by I Don't Give a Shit. Nasty Attitude and Up Yours Keep. Up yours, Keith challenging for second, going into the clubhouse turn. Passing on the rail as I don't give a shit, taking the lead. Followed by the fucking house. You cook like shit, and I fucked your brother. Out of the turn. I don't give a shit. Still in front. Up yours, keep challenging for the lead. Up yours, keep, and I don't give a shit. Neck and neck. And down the stretch they come. Up yours, keep is pulling away from I don't give a shit by a length. Coming on strong is I am out of here. And passing the pack is the fucking house. And at the wire, it's up yours, keep the fucking house. I don't give a shit, and I am out of here. <laughs> oh, love that. Okay, now here is the. Here's. Here's basically the same concept, a, a horse race, but this time it's it's concerning the pandemic, and it's kind of funny. It's not really funny, but you be the judge. And they're off. Out of the gate, it's coronavirus, followed closely behind by Wuhan-style lockdown. <laughs> On the outside, it's global pandemic working hard against flatten the curve. Social distancing got off to a slow start, but he's now neck and neck with flatten the curve. On the inside, it's just a little flu, followed by trust the experts. As they pass the quarter pole, 18 months vaccine is working hard to get past Plaquenil. Dr. Fauci is three lengths back of the leaders. Stimulus plan is trying to squeeze by PPE as they enter the backstretch. 
But out on the outside, here comes economic shutdown. Opened by Easter, gets bumped a little bit by Dr. Fauci. Flatten the curve and economic shutdown are battling it out as they head past the half mile pole. Distance learning stumbled out of the gate and it looks like he won't be able to get back into it. Not his day to day, folks. They are moving at a brisk pace and all clustered together except for my bank account, which is way back of the pack. He might be injured. They might have to pull him up. Toilet paper is nowhere to be seen. He's lost in the pack. As they head into the far turn, it's social distancing still in the lead, but daily briefing is lurking one and a half lengths back. It's a tremendous race, folks. I've never seen anything like it. And now, cure worse than the disease is starting to make his move. As they head to the top of the stretch, cabin fever is charging hard, but social distancing is holding him off. Economic shutdown is still looking strong, and he's nose to nose with cure worse than the disease. And on the inside, here comes Dr. Fauci, and down the stretch they come. It's social distancing and economic shutdown now neck and neck. I don't believe it. Dr. Fauci is trying to keep pace and with one furlong to go. It's economic shutdown, social distancing, and Dr. Fauci as they come to the wire. It's... Oh my god, it's no one fucking knows by a head. Oh, an incredible race, folks. 11-7-12 trifecta pays 117-39. Woo! <laughs> I mean, you know, that's... I mean, you know, that, that's cute. You know, it's all right. Pretty cute. All right. Okay. Now onto this, and I just wonder... Okay. Got a... Okay. Does uh, everybody know that I got some Florida stories, and then I got uh, two things from Weird History, so that should fill out the rest of the program. Wow. What a way to get the audience to tune in, man. Well, look, man, it's it's uh, it's like 38 minutes past the top of the hour already, man. So I might as well just, yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. Do your show. Douche. Hey, your mic was on, man. Yeah, whatever. All right. Story out of Florida. Man killed his girlfriend. His logic? He wanted to shut her up. Well, he kind of succeeded, but in kind of the wrong way. This argument over tattoo that ended in murder nearly two years ago. Detectives say this Tampa mother was killed by her boyfriend, John McQueen. Now he is on trial for her murder. John McQueen sounds like the name of an actor. And we got Steve McQueen. You know, John McQueen doesn't sound like a killer name. Sounds like, you know, sounds like he'd be on, I don't know, sounds like he'd be in a movie or something, you know. Disney presents, you know, Disney introduces John McQueen. Fox 13's Gloria Gomez explains tonight how prosecutors used his chilling words against him. Oops, anything you say can and will be held against you in the court of law. I just did it to shut her up. She was going to try to make my life a living hell. In what way? Because she wouldn't stop talking or what? <laughs> Boy, this guy... Boy, this guy just pissed in the dating pool. I told her, I'll kill you. You keep bothering me. I'll kill you. And well, then just break up with her, man. <laughs> I'm not an expert, but geez, just do that. Dick. Kill you. And he did. Lead prosecutor Aaron Hubbard says John McQueen is a cold-blooded killer who thought his girlfriend, Kalena Atkins, was a problem. So he got rid of his problem. Why'd you say it like that? I mean, it seems like, I don't know, what the heck? I mean, did I walk into a mafia movie? You know, he got rid of his problem. 
She tried to scream when I first put my hands around her neck, which made me squeeze tighter. That's the scumbag. Graphic evidence the jury heard during McQueen's murder trial. You swear or affirm any testimony you give in this proceeding will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Yes. Thank you, ma'am. They also heard from McQueen's now ex-wife. She was married to him at the time of the murder and says that day McQueen called her and confessed. He told her the two were arguing about a tattoo McQueen has of his wife's name. Oh, what a Gumbag. So not only is he disloyal to his wife, he cheat. He he get he gets a tattoo, shows the shows his side chick, and then he kills his side chick. Just stay married, you unfaithful asshole. Atkins wanted it gone. You know, Mr. McQueen. Um, he's my husband. She told the judge about it during a bond hearing nearly two years ago. He said that. Um, that she tried to come in with a knife because she was going to carve his name, my name, out of his arm. Oh, jeez. I mean, if that's what he claims, I call bullshit. I don't think, I don't think that happened at all. I think he killed her just outright. I don't think she was coming at him with a knife to try and carve something in him. He's saying bullshit. He's saying that so that he can continue to paint her in a bad light. He said that he he finally snapped. The defense... Oh, he finally snapped. Yeah. The only thing that should finally happen to him is if he's in prison and he gets his fucking neck snapped. Son of a bitch. And you know something? I would not be surprised at all if this is on his playlist. I'm not playing the whole thing, by the way. This is, uh, this is, this is, I used to love her, but I had to kill her by Guns N' Roses. This is an actual song, by the way. I'm going to play a little bit. I used to love her, but I had to kill her. Maybe we could probably do a parody about this guy. Maybe intersperse some clips of him testifying maybe some clips of the news maybe right around here 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 and here kind of build it up a little bit and then i don't know maybe change the words maybe something to the effect of i don't know maybe um i used to fuck her but i am a killer i used to fuck her but i am a killer i had to put her well it's a work in progress so who knows? Maybe next week I'll have something. Maybe I won't have something. I don't know. But either way, I think he should do life. And that's that. All right. What else do I got in the... Oh, okay. Okay. Here's... here's This is, this, this is a very strange one here. A, a guy in... A Tampa man, he's... He wants out of jail... So we can be in a mental house. I can't stand another day in jail, man. It sucks. So <laughs> I can't stand another day in jail, man. It sucks. What sucks? What sucks so bad? What are your grievances as to why you're in a room and when you drop the soap, you let your guard down? What else can suck? Think about what you did to put yourself in there. 
I can't stand another day in jail, man. It sucks. Oh, boo-hoo. Cry me a river, pussy. So bad, Judge. You have no idea. Patrick, <laughs> you have no idea, Judge. Yeah, like the judge is going to offer leniency. Messina wants out of jail and won't take no for an answer. First, he wants to can his attorney. I understand that Mr. Messina wants to represent himself and wants to enter the plea, and I can understand why. Uh, I don't know. I mean, does this does does this woman like to watch uh, people make fools out of themselves? Because that's pretty much what he would be doing. Uh, some someone who someone who represents themselves in court as a fool for a client because he wants out of jail and i get that i don't oh, bad. Oh, bad. i don't think is accused of using a baseball bat to break into someone's car after he was caught police found bullets in his pocket which is a violation of his probation the state has see there you go exactly he's in jail for something he should not have done and now he's bitching and moaning about it Boo-hoo-hoo. If you get in an 8x10 room because of something really bad that you did, I don't think you have any right at all to complain. Any right at all to complain. I like watching these prison documentaries about these about these really tough prisons. I mean, like, I, I mean, I mean, these, 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 some of these, some of these prisons are, some of these prisons are like in places where where, where say, where say, where say the inmate has to like sleep on the floor and stuff like that, and it cuts these inmates and they're bitching and moaning about the conditions. And I'm like, you know, you wouldn't be there if you uh, didn't do something so horribly, but that's on you, and you're probably gonna die there. Anyway, continuing. Offered him a deal that will get him out of jail, but his attorney has concerns. So I did raise competency, even though he wants to plead or wanted to plead for the time. I will plead today. There's no need to continue, Judge. We can plead today and do time, sir. And oh, gee, she's just—he's just all he's all he's trying to do is just paint this. It's just—it's just cook up this fake. Oh, hang on. There's no right word. Because if... Hang on, I got... Okay. I got to reset my... Uh, I got to reset... Okay. Basically, what I can gather is all he's... All I think he's trying to do is just go in front of the judge with a facade so that he can... So that... So that... So that he'll convince them. He'll... He'll, he'll probably manipulate them into thinking that he's all right for society... And then he'll probably go back out in society and fuck up all over again. A judge sees a giant red flag. I have a, uh, you know, a doctor here that says he's actively psychotic. So there's the... Uh, see, there you go. There's the judge right there saying, nope, the guy is psychotic. I do not agree with what Miss Shane just said. I am of sound body and mind. I know what I'm doing. And I would not hurt a fly. Oh, bullshit. Don't give me that bullshit. This is a guy who broke into a car with a baseball bat and he had bullets. You tell me how that wouldn't, you know, you try to explain to me how he's going to run by the hole. I wouldn't hurt a fly thing again. Bull crap. I'm just trying to protect my... You see what's going on in the news, Judge? Oh, boo-hoo, what's going on in the news? 
What is he bitching and moaning about? Is he bitching and moaning because his cellmate gives it to him too hard? He should stay in prison or jail, whatever the fuck it is that he's at, scumbag. Yeah, Mr. Messina, Mr. Mr. Messina, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to cut you off right there. <laughs> We're just kind of like a nice way of, uh, you know, it was kind of a nice way of saying, "Hey, guy in the cell, shut up. We're talking now. You had your chance to yap." After going several rounds, Messina there you go. Step, after going several rounds, Messina doesn't get his way. The judge decides treatment, not jail, may be the best thing for this defiant defendant. Gloria Gomez, Fox, 13 News. So the gavel Okay, yes, yeah, so the gavels come down. The gavels come down, they're putting him in treatment. You know what? Good. Maybe it'll probably do him good. Maybe if they electroshock the crap out of him, maybe maybe he'll be reformed. I don't know. Anyway, okay, one more story about Florida, and then, uh, okay, yeah, okay, uh, one more story about Florida, and then it'll be time for the interlude, and then it'll be time for uh, the educational part of the show. Oh, gosh, not dude, it's from Weird History, it's, it's, it's fun, yeah, it is fun, when you are talking so much, oh, dude, shut up, all right, here we go. Tonight with the biggest drug bust in the history of Polk County. Yep, so far anyway. So far. That's what Grady Judd is not telling you. And I have some reservations about him, Mr. Grady Judd. And you're going to hear about him when the time comes. Here we go. Tonight with the biggest drug bust in the history of Polk County, a $50 million bust. And it's part of an international smuggling operation. $50 million. Well, well, that was just a headliner. That was a teaser. It's actually up to $54 million. ...which started in Mexico and ended in Polk County. The sheriff says the mastermind was operating from federal prison. And tonight, several others are also under arrest. Let's get straight out now to Fox 13's Ken Suarez live in Polk County. And we know this operation had ties to... This guy like uh, El Chapo. Doing stuff behind bars? Seems the way to me. The Mexican drug cartel. Tell us how everything came out. Well, we are talking about methamphetamine or methane, as you said, Kelly. It started off at that Mexican cartel where so many of these things started. So let's start right there. $54 million worth of methamphetamine and other drugs smuggled into this country in liquid form in buckets that ended up on the streets of Polk County and elsewhere. An international operation, according to investigators, run by the kingpin, Brian Stanton, from his prison cell in Georgia. He was the mastermind of this entire operation. All right, this is this Grady Judd guy. And I've noticed that he kind of talks, he kind of, when he speaks, he sounds like Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil McGraw, who talks like this. You need to own this. You need to wake up. That, except he's not that loud. He's a little bit, you know, well, actually, I think they're going to have like the same like register when they talk. It's just that Dr. Phil, I can, I don't know, I can kind of take him a little bit more than I can take Grady Judd. Not because, let me just say this right now, I am not anti-police officer. I've never been anti-police officer. It's just that some cops go over the line. 
And Grady Judd has put his foot down about prostitution. Oh, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. It's the oldest damn profession. Now, if they're now there have been cases of people who have showed up at prostitution stings with their kids. Yes, bust them. But all the other ones, hey, more power to you. And the thing that really made me lose a lot of respect for Grady Judd was when he came out against medical marijuana. That just shows me that there's a very good chance he has to have, he has to have big pharma in his back pocket. He just has to if he's so opposed to medical marijuana. It's backwards thinking. Continuing. Our operation from federal prison. Did you hear that? Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, I just heard. And I don't appreciate his fucking condescending attitude like we're fucking children. People know what meth is. People know exactly what meth is. And we heard you say it. You don't need to restate it. Just say, you know, just go on TV with your usual, not in my county, with your by the book rhetoric. That's what that's what I'm getting. That that that's kind of vibe I'm getting from this guy. This is not a horrible fairy tale. It's the truth. In what? Wait a second. What the hell does that mean? How exactly does talking about drugs coincide with him saying this is not a horrible fairy tale and him condescending us right in the middle? Again, he should have just said, this was mastermind behind bars in Georgia. And it somehow came to my county. Well, not in my county. That would have been great. Continuing. Poke Sheriff Grady Judd says Stanton, also known as Lil B, was getting the drugs from a cartel operating out of Juarez, Mexico. Ooh. What about Z. Watanejo with Andy Dufresne? Good old Andy Dufresne. Known for its brutality. They're doing things such as decapitating. They're hanging the opponents from bridges by the neck to make sure that they send the message of how serious they really are. Jeez, what the heck is this, man? Is he trying to be like Pablo Escobar? Is this Scarface? Is this Goodfellas? <laughs> this is this this is getting this, yeah, this this is serious. They're, they're not playing around here. Backed by law enforcement from local and federal agencies, Judd said the operation was busted when a drug shipment to a Winter Haven woman, Amber Kaysen, was intercepted back in January. From there, the operation began to unravel. In March, they say, Jennifer Mears of Stone Mountain, Georgia, delivered a suitcase with 26 bags of meth to undercover detectives at a Lakeland hotel. I can imagine what that transaction must have sounded like. All right, y'all, I'm here with y'all's meth. Uh, I got 26 bags of it, and I labeled them each letter of the alphabet. You're under arrest. (laughs) 
Hey, if you're dumb enough to smuggle drugs, you're dumb enough to get caught. That's my philosophy. She was arrested, and so were a number of other people. <laughs> part of a chain bringing meth and other drugs from thousands of miles away into our community. How do you like that? How do you like him smuggling 1,342 pounds or 120 gallons of liquid meth across the border? Uh, I don't like your delivery. And I especially disagree with him on this part. Then he's drying it out into the crystal form and giving it to your children. And Oh, give me a damn break with that weak-ass, tired, children argument. I am so damn sick and tired of hearing that argument of the children. Have you ever seen a six-year-old spark a meth pipe, Grady Judd? No! Bullshit claim about children doing meth. All right. <laughs> this is the Lord's Raw Show. I'll be back after this with more. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Back after this. This show is about making the people happy while you enjoy whatever has been selected for the great. Lawrence is stepping away from the microphone to fill up on his leftover Taco Bell. Nobody going to the bathroom for about 35 or 5 minutes. The Lawrence Ross Show will return after this. Wash away the rain 
That that was black hole. That was black hole sun by Soundgarden, which to this day nobody really knows what a black hole sun is. Nobody truly knows. It's 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 a mystery. Chris Cornell never really truly explained it. I know, I know that he had said that. I, I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember. The only real explanation he ever gave in regards to what a black hole sun was was that it was was it was it was something that he had uh, it, it was something that he had uh, heard on the news uh, uh, he, he had misheard something a newscaster had said and it turned into uh, black hole sun and uh, then leading to then. Coming into the uh, coming to the second part of the show, I I got uh, that was Roadhouse Blues by the Doors. It's a great great track off of their great uh, 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 Morrison Hotel album. That's the opening track, and it's a great album. 
really really great it's 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 one of my favorites uh my dad got me hooked onto it years ago he 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 uh uh years ago my dad asked me once to make him a little mixtape of uh you know, some some various tunes that he wanted so he could have in his uh, vehicle and he gave me the cds and he's like okay okay this one this one this one this one cut six cut four cut three on this one and that sort of thing so did that and uh and, and i remember i was i was dubbing it onto the uh, cassette forum and i'd never heard anything like it before and i'm like hey, this is really good and then and then and then about like five six years later i started getting into it so so yeah so it's really neat all right hang on where, where's this thing i want to have this but that thing about uh you know your eyes on the road your hands upon the wheel all that stuff <laughs> and maybe these little jokes so how does helen keller drive Again, the question is, how does Helen Keller drive? Again, how does Helen Keller drive? Give up with one hand on the road. Hey, everybody. Oh, ha, 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 ha. I just got that one. Yeah, of course you did, Stewie. You're going to yell so damn loud. Jeesh. Can hear you from here. All right. 813 602 Anybody who's listening to this show for a while, you guys know I'm big into history. And so, well, here is uh, here's, 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 a little, here's a little something I got here. This is, see, what, what is this? This is a little thing about uh, Chernobyl, the meltdown in April of 86. And one of the things off, uh, one of the things I've often heard my dad say, tell me over, over the years of living on this earth is incompetence gets people killed. That's why he doesn't like, that's why a lot of people don't like, well, there, there's a big reason it's not like incompetence right there. And this is an example, and the whole thing was messed up. The whole thing, from start to finish, was all messed up, but unfortunately nobody knew. Let's dive into this here. The tr- oh, oh, a little loud, 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 little loud. There we go. The truth is, the Chernobyl reactor was badly designed, and its operators... Oh, how'd they not notice? ...were never informed of that fact. They had no idea the experiment they were conducting on April 26, 1986, could bring the reactor to an explosive condition. However, even given that, the experiment which ultimately caused the incident was, by all accounts, both poorly planned and poorly executed. It was a failure all around. All right, we got it. Let's find out why. Previously established safety protocols were disregarded in the name of expediency. Oh, jeez. You know what that reminds me of? That... You know, that reminds me exactly of what NASA did back in 86. And that's why, that is why those astronauts died aboard Space Shuttle Challenger. Why? Because of expediency. NASA was tired of the Challenger just sitting on the launch pad, doing nothing, just collecting dust. And they were losing money by the day probably by the minute, probably by the hour in some cases, and they were saying, hey, look, we got to get that damn thing up into space on this day. And and the engineer, the main engineers are like, no, man, can't. Not a good idea. It's going to be too cold outside, and it's not going to be able to work out properly. 
And the people on that are like, oh, no, it's totally fine. We got this. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Come on. We're wasting money. 73 seconds later after launch, seven lives lost. You do the math. Something that was endemic of an overall lack of safety culture at the plant. After an investigation, the International Atomic Energy Agency concluded that when assessed in terms of the concept of safety culture, the project was severely lacking not only at the operational stage, but at every stage in the lifetime of the plant. Safety-related decisions were found to be questionable in all phases, including design, engineering, construction, equipment manufacture, as well as administration and regulation. All right, now how shabby... How shabby was this? I mean, like, was it like on The Simpsons? Chewing gum used a... Uh, uh, chewing gum used a... Uh, oh, dang it. Oh, what was the line? Oh, wait, wait. Chewing gum used to seal crack in radiation, I think. In like a radiation tower or something like that. I, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was just so darn funny. Anyway... Jeez, oh, I probably messed up the quote. 66 ways to Sunday. Anyway, here we go. The experiment on Chernobyl's Unit 4 reactor was intended to determine whether its emergency systems could operate under inertial force in the wake of a power outage. However, just before the experiment was conducted, the emergency core cooling system was disconnected. Uh, what? Well, what's the point? What is the point of having it if you're going to disconnect the emergency core system or whatever the heck? It would remain so throughout the duration of the test. Uh, wouldn't it occur to someone to maybe reconnect it and then get things back up to speed? The detonations that would later rock the plant were ultimately caused by other mistakes. But the absence of the cooling system further complicated the situation and underscored the plant's general lack of interest in safety. Wow. So they were, so I guess you could basically say, in essence, they were working inside a ticking time bomb and nobody told them and nobody knew. While the initial guidelines for the experiment called for the reactor to be stabilized at a power level of approximately 1,000 megawatts, human error caused the level to sink to a mere 30 megawatts. Uh, all right. Well, all right. Well, there you go. You're, 900, you're 970 megawatts less than what you need. I guess you're, I don't know. I guess you're going up a creek without a paddle. Or you're going up Shit's Creek with a turd for a paddle. As the guys from Ween said in the song, Piss Up a Rope. This caused the reaction within the plant to destabilize. Operators did their best to compensate for the low power levels, but they were only able to get back up to about 200 megawatts. Oh, dang. 800 short. Oh, damn. Sorry, guys. At that level, while it was stable, it was still extremely dangerous. Unfortunately for everyone involved, the steps the operators took to raise the power levels would lead directly to the accident that would consume the plant. Ah, you fool! You killed us all! The Chernobyl experiment continued into the night of April 25th, 1986. Operators were becoming increasingly frustrated at the inability to raise the power levels inside the reactor. God, you know it sound like, come on, man, come on! I wonder if there was one guy who was probably like, easy, Chuck, quit banging on that damn thing, man. You're going to cause the thing to blow up. Anyway, you know, in all fairness, I don't, you know, in all fairness, I totally have the accent wrong. I mean, this is Chernobyl, so, you know, it's not going to sound like that. Anyway. 
To compensate, they began to remove control rods. Uh, okay. Safety protocol called for a minimum of 15 rods. Minimum of 15, guys. All you need to take. 15, that's all you need to get rid of. And these guys, look what these dum-dums do. Here's what happens here. But the operators kept removing them until they were down to just eight. What? What? Wait a second. How many? My question is, how many rod? Okay. My question is, how many of these did they start off with? If, if. If they suggest minimum being 15, and when all is said and done, they take away and they take away X amount, and they're left with eight. How many rods? You know, how many rods did they start off with? There's a math problem. And no common core. Damn it! As a result, the reactor crossed the minimum operating reactivity margin, which is not good. Yep. <laughs> In all fairness, when would he, when would it be considered good? <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I mean, the wheels have already fallen off at this point. It's, 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 it's too late now. It's, it's already over. So, yeah. How can it, you know, how, how could things be any worse, you may ask? Well, let's find out. This created what is known as a positive void coefficient, which reactors of that type were prone to developing, and which is also not good. Really? So if a positive, uh, whatever the hell it was, what the hell was that again? A what now? Not good. Oh, good. Hold on. A what? Margin, which is not, which is not good. <laughs> this created right. what is known as a positive void coefficient. Okay, so if a positive void coefficient is bad, is a negative coefficient good? They don't tell us. Maybe a negative coefficient, maybe a negative void, uh, conflict. Whatever the hell it is, is much worse. ...coefficient, which coefficient. reactors of that type were prone to developing, and which is also not good. <laughs> Ultimately, what that all means is that the reactor was left vulnerable to a potential power surge. Uh-oh. That's a nice way of... S how do you say, uh... Hmm. How do you say, uh, we're fucked in Russia? <laughs> there's... There's gotta be a way to say that. Oh, well, since this is Chernobyl, I think I might as well play my Vladimir Putin bit after this. Anyway, continuing. Creating a greater risk of complete nuclear meltdown, which is the ultimate in not good. <laughs> the ultimate in not good. <laughs> there, there was there was actually a... Uh, uh, there was a behind the scenes... There was a... Uh, there was a little documentary that the... Uh, Morgan Spurlock did. The, 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 guy, the guy who was... A, the guy who did Super Size Me... Did a little documentary on uh, the Sim it, it was it was called The Simpsons on Ice in 3D or something like that, and so there's there's one part in the uh, one part in the special where where they've interviewed people who work at nuclear power plants, and one of the guys says Homer Simpson would not Homer Simpson would not do well at the psychological stage of things, and then it cuts to clips of Homer working at the plant. And there's a meltdown. And what does Homer do? He goes, ah, meltdown. <laughs> he, he freaks out. <laughs> he freaks out. Anyway, <laughs> continuing. The, ex <laughs> the music is so distracting. I feel like a, <laughs> I feel like I'm in a nightclub or something, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's got that nightclub vibe to it, kind of. The ex good. And not good. 
Two for one drinks tonight. Two for one drinks. We close at three. Two for one drinks, everybody. We can close at three o'clock tonight. The experiment procedures require that the turbine engines feeding the reactor with cooled water be shut down. This alone wouldn't have been so bad, but after struggling to increase the power in the reactor, the operators also reduced the flow of feed water. Uh, what? Okay, do these guys even know what they're doing? They're slowing everything down. These guys don't know what they're doing. Or do they? Maybe they're, I don't know. They're trying, I guess, but, well, this is 86, so let's, let's see how this one ends. These two factors combined caused the temperature within the reactor to increase, and along with it, the amount of steam. Uh-oh, that's not good. While there are many competing theories as to what led directly to this first detonation, many believe it was this excess of steam. Not Whatever good. In the case, the steam, at the very minimum, exacerbated the instability of the reactor. Operators were struggling to increase the power to the Unit 4 reactor when they were suddenly hit by the exact opposite problem, a massive power surge. Although there are several theories, no one knows exactly why the surge occurred. But whatever the cause, the surge ruptured the reactor's fuel cells and raised the temperatures to catastrophic levels. This, in turn, generated even more steam. And just to let everybody know, this is also not good. <laughs> just, I just for, for for anybody out there who's uh, for anybody who's keeping track of this, uh, the guy said that whatever happens, not good. This is also not good. This is off the scale of not good. This is this is horrible on so many levels. All right, here we go. The increasing volume of steam further increased the pressure, which eventually ruptured the fuel elements. And no kidding, right? depressurized the reactor's cooling circuit. Once this happened, the detonations that would rock the plant were all but assured. Oop, hit the deck. As the power... <laughs> that music is so damn distracting, you know? <laughs> it's hard to focus. Anyway. Power levels and the reactor peaked. The operators hurried to insert more control rods, but it was too late. Even... <sighs> He said, insert. <laughs> Would you two guys get... Wait, excuse me for a moment, folks. Would you two guys get the hell out of here, man? <clears throat> oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Not only not only did Stewie uh, come back, but also Beavis and Butthead must have jumped in his suitcase with him. So I got to deal with these guys, too. I got to deal with these guys, and they're... You know, they're raiding the nacho pantry right now is what they're doing. Wait, wait, hang on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, guys. Want to put the nachos back in the pantry? Nachos roll. <laughs> yeah, I know, man, but just put it back in the pantry. Ugh. Oh, boy. Jeez. Oh, oh, boy. Ugh. Crazy people. One in every bunch. All right, stand by. Morse, this attempt to regain control may have been a fatal mistake. Nope. Uh oh. So, 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 so basically, the crap has hit the fan now. Everything's blowing up. They're trying to put controlling rods back into the machine, 
and it's not working and this easily and this might be a bigger the control rods used at chernobyl contain graphite displacers and long story short there are compelling reasons to believe that this graphite triggered a nuclear reaction with the rupturing fuel cells this theory explains the severity of the very first detonation which had so much force behind it it literally blew the two meter thick lid made of concrete and steel right off the reactor holy goodness gracious how the hell i mean that my goodness i'm, I'm wow i'm stunned by this how the heck does that happen <laughs> Right through the concrete and steel, mind you. Holy moly. A second explosion, likely caused by a buildup of hydrogen due to all the steam reacting with zirconium, happened only seconds later. Well, the only seconds later. The initial explosion had blown the lid off the reactor. The second one blew it sky high. <laughs> you think? First one was like, okay, I did the top. You do the other part. Along with it, large quantities of fuel and moderator were also ejected. At least one. Fuel, I know what that is. What the hell is Monterey? At least Monterey? one person. At least one reactor. The second one blew it sky high. Along with it, large quantities of fuel and moderator were. Moderator? That is a moderator. Well, moderator is like someone on the internet, but what the heck is moderator like the product? They don't really tell you that. ...also ejected. At least one person, whose body was never recovered, was killed instantly. A second time... Of course the guy's body was probably never recovered. It was probably put in all that nuclear waste, man. Or who knows where the body went? Continuing. A second died in the hospital just a few hours later. As if all that wasn't bad enough, the explosions left the core of the reactor exposed. Radiation began to seep through Chernobyl and then to the whole world. Uh-oh. Given the intensity of the detonations, you'd think alarms would be sounding and the whole plant would be springing into action. Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. You would at least hope so, right? Well, let's find out here. But it wasn't like that. Oh, really? What the heck was everyone doing? Taking a siesta? In fact, the immediate response was surprisingly relaxed. Work wait, wait, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. How relaxed can you... Hold on a minute. <clears throat> How relaxed can you be if you're working in a place where all of a sudden the nuclear reactor just blows up? How can you be relaxed during that, man? I, I wouldn't be too relaxed. I'd be freaking out. On the other reactors, work response was surprisingly relaxed. Work on the other reactors continued as usual. Even the fire crews who arrived to fight the blazes didn't bother to wear protective gear. What? Wait a second, man. You're, you're, you're firefighters. What the heck? You, you, come, you come prepared to fight the fire, but you don't bring protective gear? What the heck is that, man? What the heck is that all about, man? Is it like chin up to the prostitute and you don't have a rubber and she doesn't have a rubber? Is that what the heck that is? I, I don't know. Continuing. 
Two workers lost their lives in the immediate aftermath, and 28 other casualties, mostly first responders who soaked up enormous amounts of radiation, were directly attributed to the meltdown. Oh man! And uh, and 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 uh, and unfortunately, and unfortunately, history repeats itself because 15 years later, during September 11th, there were all those uh, people who were told. It's totally safe to go down to uh, fight the, you know, you to uh, um, uh, to fight the blaze, and they go down there and they breathe in all the stuff and they get cancer and they die, and then they made the 9/11 first responders bill, and Anthony Weiner passionately defended it, but then he went to jail for uh, real dirty stuff. Over a hundred people were hospitalized with acute radiation syndrome, and a few dozen others died in the weeks and months that followed. About two miles or three kilometers away from Chernobyl was the city of Pripyat. Citizens there were told nothing, but they couldn't help but notice the officers walking their streets in gas masks. <laughs> you had to probably raise a few eyebrows like, uh, what are you all doing wearing gas masks around here? Rumors spread fast. Radiation was spewing out of Chernobyl, but local officials, intent on sticking to the party line of covering up the accident, made no immediate effort to evacuate. Uh, yep. Typical political figures. Uh, or just big business covering crap up so they don't look like the bad guy. Yep. Exactly what they're doing. Spinning control. Evacuate the town. The evacuation order didn't come until 30 effort to evacuate the town. The evacuation order didn't come until 36 hours after the initial detonation. What? Wait, 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 hold on. 36 hours after is when they issued the uh, the alert? Wouldn't you do it maybe, I don't know, an hour? Or, I don't know, wouldn't you do it maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, or I don't know, maybe 5 minutes after it happens? Because you got radiation seeping into uh, certain things and radiation only uh, causes people to maybe have, I don't know, a third hand, a second head, a, a leg sticking out of their back, which is horribly twisted. I don't know. But why would you wait 36 damn hours to say, hey, shit just hit the fan, hit the bricks. Residents were given one hour to pack their things and leave for what they were told would be just a few days. In truth, they would never be allowed to return to their homes. And thanks to the delays, they had absorbed an unknown amount of radiation. Yep. See, there you go. Incompetence gets people killed. As if the initial response to the Chernobyl meltdown wasn't bad enough, the cleanup was a messy, dangerous, tedious ordeal. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> In all fairness, I'm not, I'm not sure if Bounty can pick up uh, nuclear waste, you know? <laughs> I know it's the quilted quicker picker-upper, but hey, there's got to be limits to that. Ultimately, it would take more than a half a year to contain the situation. But finally, a concrete and steel casing was poured over the reactor in November of 1986. There's a lot of blame to go around for how Chernobyl was handled. But at least some has to be assigned to Mikhail Gorbachev and the Soviet government, who all let their reactions be affected by political considerations. Oh, big shock. The government was collapsing, and no one wanted to acknowledge the disaster. They wouldn't even admit that the disaster occurred until more than a day had passed, and it would still be longer until they informed the public. The first responders who were brought in to contain the incident probably knew they were headed into danger. 
However, there's no way they could have known that incompetent decision-making would result in unnecessary exposure to mind-boggling amounts of radiation. Yep. At first, officials tried using robots to clear the burning graphite from the roof of the reactor, but they malfunctioned. Another plan tried using helicopters to fly over the nuclear flames and pour sand. Oh, man. So, I want to back up a little bit. And on them. But not only didn't it work, it exposed the helicopter crews to irradiated updrafts. Oh, man. All this meant that actual humans would have to climb on top of the reactor, which still had its core uncovered for extended periods. What? Uh-oh. What the heck, man? This, this, this is all wrong and all wrong, man. Officials attempted to contain the further release of radiation into the atmosphere by burying the irradiated topsoil and... Ve- what? Great move, guys. Real great move. Just <laughs> real great move, dudes. Just put the bad soil on top. It'll be fine. Vegetation. However, this plan may have had an unintended but highly dangerous consequence. Namely, it may have kept the radiation out of the atmosphere, but it redirected it into the groundwater. According to some accounts, the cleanup ignored protocols that mandated geological surveys designed to avoid precisely such a situation. What? Wait a second. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you real? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it kind of freak you out if you realized that uh, radiation was in your water supply? Instead, the crews dug until they hit water and then pushed the topsoil right in. This would have spread the radiation even further beyond the exclusion zone. Sheesh. Hey, you gotta do what you gotta do, but sheesh, man. The area surrounding Chernobyl was rife with valuable resources, and the Soviet government wasn't eager to see so much go to waste. Officials developed questionable standards for quantifying which food products were safe and which were contaminated. As a result, irradiated items ended up on store shelves. Large quantities of contaminated meat were even kept in cold storage in hopes that they would become edible again someday. What? Contaminated meat. Like that's going to be edible any day of the week. You don't want that man that'll kill you. The Soviet government didn't seem to have learned a lesson. They were displaying more of the flagrant disregard for safety that caused the meltdown in the first place. Oh, what a bunch of dummies, man. Kale Gorbachev is known to have found out about the meltdown only hours after it occurred, but he wasn't eager to spread the news. Despite increasing attention from scientific observers worldwide, his government pushed ahead as if nothing was wrong. Boo. He should have said something. Radiation levels in Ukraine and around the world were increasing, yet the central party still held a big outdoor event in Kiev for May Day. Their recklessness and arrogance cost untold lives. Yep. <laughs> they, they should they should have uh, should have been practicing social distancing. While only 30 casualties are officially attributed to Chernobyl, the World Health Organization believes that thousands of others have been killed over time from related cancers and illnesses. In trying to keep a lid on the situation, the Soviet government prevented their own citizens from protecting themselves. The true cost of the cover-up remains impossible to know. Oh, gosh. But what is, an impo- what is not impossible to know is that there's a big error on their end, and they screwed up big time. What the? What the heck? It took out the other thing. What the hell was it? Uh, hang on. 
accidentally closed the wrong folder. My bad. Okay. Another thing from ready. Uh, another thing from weird history. Then I gotta bounce. Um, this is about. Let's see. This is this is a thing about uh, the. Uh, this is about hygiene amongst the Mongolians. Here we go. Gout is caused by excessive eating and drinking. They did a video on gout, by the way. A whole video on gout. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll bring that to the table one of these days. Here we go. Gout is caused by excessive eating and drinking, and it was very common among Mongols. While in the Golden Horde, 14th century traveler Ibn Battuta visited the home of a sultan's daughter, whose husband was suffering from gout and was unable for this reason to go about on his feet or to ride a horse, and so used to ride only in a wagon. Little red wagon. He went on to observe that this disease is widespread among the Mongol. Kublai Khan, Genghis Khan's grandson and the ruler of China for much of the 13th century, suffered from such severe gout that it limited his movement as a warrior. Having so much experience with gout, you'd think the Mongols would have some insights into how to treat the disease, but not so much. What? <laughs> and my question is, you know, if that guy, if he's a warrior then and he's got gout, how does he fight in battle? What the hell does he do? What does he just, what does he just, what does he just tell his opponent? Hey, adversary, look at my foot. To treat gout, Mongols were advised to stick their feet in the chest of a dead horse. Oh, Wilbur. Very unnecessary, Wilbur. No saw that, Mr. Ed. Well, Ed, that's because this royal man has gout. Oh, Wilbur, if I had that, just shoot me in the damn head. Hmm, tingly. Now, if that sounds disgusting to you, don't worry. There were other options. In lieu of a horse, at least one medicine man prescribed finding a red-haired child and sticking your foot into their abdomen. Ugh, I'll take the horse. Wait, 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 wait a second. Hang on a second. How exactly does finding a red-headed child and kicking him in the abdomen, how does, how does, how does that cure your gout? Does that go back to the stereotype that people with red hair are gingers and have no soul? One general tried this technique on 30 children. However, his pain didn't subside. So he offed his doctor and fed his entrails to some dogs. That wow! Nice guy, huh? <laughs> Kicking 30 kids didn't work out. He kills his doctor and feeds the doctor's body to the horse. Wow. It's a one-star review. <laughs> yep, one star. In the 1250s, Franciscan missionary Willem von Rubruck journeyed throughout the Mongol Empire, recording his travels. Rubruck described Mongol hairstyles, noting that men shaved sections atop their heads, along with the temples and necks, and across the forehead as far as the crown of the head. Similarly, women shaved the fronts of their heads upon marrying and grew the rest of their hair long. Huh. Okay. According to Rubruk, when they want to wash their hands or head, they fill their mouths with water, which they let trickle onto their hands. And in this way, they also wet their hair and wash their heads. They didn't have faucets back then. They didn't have running water back then, so you had to make do with what you had. All right, here we go. Why'd they do it this way? Well, Mongols venerated water, never wanting to offend it. Mongols relate that Genghis Khan even dictated that if any water touched a person's face and then went back into the water source, they were to be executed. All right, so I guess, uh, okay, so I guess I can cancel my water balloon uh, 
festivities or the uh uh you know refilling the reservoir so it may be fair to presume that the process was designed to prevent the mongols from spilling water back into the source as avid archers the mongols were prone to arrow wounds well no kidding I wonder, I wonder if there's ever been a blind archer back in those days. I wonder if there was a blind archer who was like really, really, really good. I don't know, but continuing. According to the 13th century work, The Secret History of the Mongols, when Genghis Khan suffered a neck laceration that bled uncontrollably, oh. his retainer, Zelma, sucked out blood. Which ah, sheesh. He's got a vampire? She swallowed or spat out. And when the Khan... Wait, hold, hold on, hold on sw- His retainer, Zelma, sucked out blood which he swallowed or spat out. Jeez, what the hell, man? And when the Khan asked for something to drink, Zelma brought him fermented milk and water, which presumably prevented dehydration. Persian physician... Fermented milk and water? Well, like, mixed together? Ew! I don't want to know what that tastes like. It probably doesn't taste all that good. And historian Rashid al-Din recorded a statement Genghis Khan was alleged to have said about the blood-sucking exercise. He believed the procedure brought back the spark of life which had departed, and when it was finished, he could move again. Okay, this, I don't know, this, this guy's a little off, man. (laughs) Water was sacred to the Mongols, and disrupting or polluting it was a punishable offense. Ooh, no kidding. Washing clothes was prohibited, and washing one's body or hands during the spring or summer was also prohibited. Ah, dang. So, dang. So, can't get that uh, fresh, clean, uh, fresh, clean smell, huh? Out of fear of thunderstorms. However, during the spring or summer was also prohibited out of fear of thunderstorms. Hmm. Okay. However, one of the worst defenses was if a person released their bodily fluids into a body of water, like a stream or a river. Well, no, duh! <laughs> of course, if you piss in the drinking water, someone's not going to like it. Duh! <laughs> Come on, man. This isn't like, you know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't like a water park where you can just, like, lounge around in the pool area and just, Go right there. Genghis Khan gave legal status to many previously religious taboos, and the Mongols strictly forbid urination in flowing water or in a dwelling, fearful of offending spirits. In the event of accidental urination, Mongols were heavily fined or were forced to cleanse the offended party's home. And- Hold on. How do you hang on a second? How do you accidentally urinate in the water? I mean, when it's time to go, it's time to go. So how somebody with perfectly good eyesight could be walking around this area and accidentally go in a bottle, you know, and, and, and accidentally go into a stream. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that, how, how that came to fruition, but that's just, uh, anyway, what, uh, what else do I got on this thing here? So what's left on it? Possessions. But until that cleansing took place, no one dare enter the dwelling or take anything from it. And if a person intentionally urinated in flowing water or in a dwelling, they received death. Yeah. Wow, there's a death wish right there. Man. And you thought your day was crappy. Pretty much pretty much pretty much I wonder I wonder I wonder how I wonder they found out if somebody intentionally did it. It was like, hey, you peed in the water? 
Yeah. Dead. Yeah. If you peed in someone's house, you received capital punishment. So, hopefully you can hold it in. <laughs> Damn. So, 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 if you, so if you were hanging out with somebody in like 13th, you know, in the 13th century and you're over there and you got to use the bathroom, you're dead? Oh, that sucks. According to the Yasa, which is a collection of rules articulated by Genghis Khan, Mongols were forbidden from washing clothes in running water. Huh. Why is that? Was it quite a like, thing with the spirits about running water? Or, I don't know. Were they afraid of Tide laundry detergent and they were just too afraid to tell us? Rubruk wrote, They never wash clothes, for they say that God would be angered thereat, and that it would thunder if they hung them up to dry. He went on to point out that Mongols deeply feared thunder, and during storms they would kick strangers out of their homes and wrap themselves in black felt, thus hiding themselves until it passed. Very superstitious! Anyway, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that is superstitious, man. Rather than washing, the Khan expected his fellow Mongols to wear the same piece of clothing until it wore out. The Mongols didn't wash much of anything, and when they ate, their hands were reportedly covered with grease, fat, dirt, and meat. Oh, gosh. I can only, I can only imagine what that must have smelled like. All of which they wiped on their clothes. It may sound like a dirty, dirty barbecue, but there were some upsides. Really? <laughs> so here we are, 13th century, and no napkins, so they just wipe everything on their clothing, which they don't wash for fear of pissing off the gods. And there's an upside to all this? I don't know. The animal fat smeared on their garments actually helped protect Mongols from the elements along the steppes of Central Asia. Covering their outer clothing in fat and grease made them water and windproof. And if the Mongols had washed their clothes, it would have stripped that protective layer. Oh. I'm not going to be trying that today. It's very primitive. The Mongols did have other cleansing practices, and many of them revolved around fire. The Fire. <laughs> Would you two shut up? Mongols considered flame an intermediary between heaven and earth. Purgatory. One that prepared their food, warmed their dwellings, and ultimately cleansed all things of harmful elements. When Friar Giovanni de Pien del Carpine visited the court of Guyo Khan during the 1240s, he was made to pass between two flames just in case he was thinking something injurious about the Khan or carrying poison. Huh. The Mongols believed the fire would neutralize either. Hey everyone, Weird History here with a message about Noom. In case you don't know, Noom is a new way to get healthy and lose weight. Just okay. Just 10 minutes a day, Noom uses daily lessons, personal goal specialists, and psychology to help change your habits and give you insight into how your mind... Hang on, I'm going to skip through this. There we go. Though the Mongols did not understand germ theory or how the disease worked, they understood contamination and the importance of keeping outsiders at bay during a time of illness. Fear of germs, these fucking pussies. <laughs> I love that from Carlin. According to Wilhelm von Rubruck, if a member of the great household, or Ordu, took ill, the Mongols would place guards all around the Ordu and permit no one to pass them. They feared anyone it's like quarantine. who entered, or even the stray wind, might let an evil spirit in. Wow, jeez. Oh, gosh, you guys need to give it a... Gosh, you know, these guys need to give it a rest with the damn evil spirits thing. I mean, it's getting very repetitive, guys, with your whole thing of 
Evil spirits, evil spirits, settle down, all right? Y'all are panicking over nothing. Wussies. While they associated illness with a spiritual disorder, the Mongols also sought to separate themselves from being tainted by whatever the afflicted individual had done to bring on their disease. <laughs> okay, so it must be like one of those things where... Uh, I remember I remember, I had a story about, uh, story about how one time... Uh, there, there's this group of kids doing an activity and the teacher asked, why are you not including uh, this blind student? And this student and some students said something effective. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to be in a group with uh, the blind girl because I don't want to get her blindness. <laughs> like that just shows you just how fucking ignorant people are. They also understood that sending disease-ridden bodies into a besieged city would bring about illness and destruction. Oh, gee, you think? You know, you leave all those corpses laying around, you know, you know, some bad crap's gonna happen, probably. When the Mongols seized Kaffa in 1346, they hurled mountains of the dead, according to the chronicler Gabriela de Musis. Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead! <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What else we got? As a result, the whole of the air inside Kaffa was infected and the water poisoned by the corrupt putridity of the corpses. Ooh, you think, huh? Apparently, the stench was so awful that hardly one out of a thousand remained to try to flee the Mongol army. Everybody chokes on their food once in a while. Sometimes, yep, it happens. Or a beverage, you know, you're, you're enjoying it and whatever, and it goes down the wrong tube. It happens, you know? But the Mongols believed choking was caused by some sort of demon, one that needed to be wiped out. Oh, jeez. Oh, here we go again with the superstitions about demons, evil spirits. Oh, gosh. I can only imagine what their reaction must have been to somebody just casually farting. I can only imagine. If an individual choked on a piece of food and spit it out, the offense was twofold. Not only did the person waste food, but he also polluted the dwelling within which he ate. According to Giovanni da Pien del Carpine, if anyone takes a morsel and, unable to swallow it, spits it out of his mouth, a hole is made under the dwelling, and he is dragged out by that hole and, without any mercy, put to death. Holy jeesh! Wow! Man! Man, you know, you know, and here I thought, here I thought there were some places that were abusive to women, giving them no rights whatsoever, making them go into uh, sex trade in uh, impoverished nations, sticking chili powder in their vaginas, but holy jeesh! You choke on a bit of food, you spit it out, they they, they, they they carve a hole out of your dwelling and you're pulled through the hole, and then you die? Gosh, that is so messed up. That is so fucked up. Good thing that practice stopped. Wow, that's a tough room. On the <laughs> other hand, a 14th century Chinese dietary and nutritional manual written by Hu Siwi offers a different take on spitting. Written during China's Mongol era, the Yuan Dynasty, Hu Siwi's In Chen Jianyao says it is better to spit short distances than long distances. Okay. It is better to not spit at all than spitting short distances. 
This distinction may imply that there were different forms of spitting and may require different forms of punishment for each. Whatever the case, if you time travel back to the Mongol area, we recommend playing it safe and trying not to spit at all. <laughs> all right. According to French chronicler Jean de Joinville, the Mongols tenderized and cooked pieces of raw meat by putting them under their saddles. Modern academics, huh, how the heck does that work? However, have cast some serious doubt as to whether this was true. In fact, the practice was likely done instead to soothe saddle sores on their horses. That being said, the Mongols undoubtedly ate a lot of meat. Mongols ate mutton and lamb, as well as horse meat, the flesh of dogs, wolves, rodents, and, when there was absolutely no other option, humans. Sheesh. Anyway, contrary to claims that Mongols ate raw meat, in truth, they typically boiled it to preserve its spiritual properties. It was only in times of desperation that they would eat something uncooked. According to contemporary reports, when the meat was cooked, they rinsed out the dish in which they were about to put it, with some of the boiling broth from the kettle, which they poured back into it. This was, as far as we know, the closest the Mongols came to washing their dishes. In all fairness, they didn't have, like, Kenmore or Whirlpool or Maytag, any of that. No, they just, you know, they just washed them by hand, really. Fear of poison pervaded Mongol society so much, Genghis Khan addressed it in the Yasa, his de facto code of law. No food was supposed to be consumed until the person presenting it ate it first. A precaution to make sure it was safe. Good idea. Kind of like how, kind of like how they, kind of like how they, you know, lab rat, you know, lab test animals and, you know, they used to give it to the dog and stuff, make sure the dog was okay. And then, okay, you can eat it now. It wasn't a terrible policy, as Genghis Khan had good reason to be concerned about poison. Right. Namely, his father perished as a result of eating tainted food given to him by his enemies. Oh, yep, well, there you go. Tainted food given to you by your enemy. Yeah, no crap. You're probably going to die from that one, man. It's not like a peace offering. It's not like it's like, hey, man, you know, we've been through some tough crap together. You know, sorry I've been an asshole to you. Here, eat this morsel of uh, dog. All right. Oh. Poison. Continuing. This paranoia about poison also extended to drinking practices. Gosh, they are just paranoid about everything. Gosh, there are a bunch of neurotics over there, I guess. Chinese observers noted that at Mongol feasts, a single bowl or cup was passed around so everyone could drink out of it. Oh, jeez. A community cup? Oh, man. And just when you thought those communal showers were icky. From what Willem von Rubruck describes, the practice, though needed for precautionary measures, was also somewhat fun. During one celebration, he witnessed a playful exchange in which three singing and dancing Mongols playfully teased another with a cup before handing it off to him. Those Mongols know how to party. Uh, so there you go, folks. There you go. And... You know, that's almost the end of the show. I, I don't have any... Well, actually, you know what? I do want to do this real quick. And then and then I then I got to jump to the outroad. I just got to. Hang on, let's see. Where is it? All right. Now, just uh, briefly, for all the music fans out there... Uh, uh, this pa- this past uh, Friday we lost uh, Jim Steinman. No, well I'm not sure if it was Friday, but either way, uh, Jim Steinman passed away 
the other day. And Jim Steinman, he was a huge, huge, huge collaborator collaborator with uh, the recording artist Meatloaf. And well, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a little karaoke to uh, close the program out. This is my version of Two Out of Three Ain't Bad by Meatloaf. Here we go. And then I'll come back with the out row. Here we go. Baby, you can talk all night. Out of the gate, messes it up. But that ain't getting us nowhere. I've told you everything I possibly can. There's nothing left inside of me And baby you can cry all night But that'll never change the way that I feel The snow is really piling up outside I wish you wouldn't make me leave here Shout. But you've been cold to me so long I'm crying icicles instead of tears And all I can do is keep on telling you I want you, I need you But there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you now Don't be sad Don't be sad Cause two out of three ain't bad Now don't be sad Cause two out of three ain't bad down. You'll never find your gold on the sandy beach. You'll never drill for oil on the city streets. I know you're looking for a ruby in a mountain of rocks, but there ain't no coop to fill. Hiding at the bottom of a crackerjack box. Lie. I can't tell you that I'm something I'm not No matter how I try I'll never be able To give you something Something that I just haven't got Well, there's only one girl That I will ever love and that was so many years ago And no, I knew I'll never get her out of my heart She never loved me back Ooh, I know Well, I remember how she left me on a stormy night 
Oh, she kissed me and got out of her bed And oh, I pleaded and I begged her not to walk out the door She packed her bags and turned away And Dawn telling me she kept on telling me she Telling me I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you now. Don't be sad, don't be sad, cause two out of three ain't bad. I want you. I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. Don't be sad, don't be sad, cause two out of three ain't bad. Don't be sad. Two out of three ain't bad, baby, we can talk all night. But that ain't getting us nowhere. The Lawrence Ross Show. That's all I got. Thanks for listening. Do with your heart. No, see with your heart. Do good. See you next Friday, everybody. Bye-bye. You are the motherfucking Antichrist! You've been listening to The Lawrence Ross Show. Email the show, blindlawrence at gmail.com. There's a letter in your mailbox. Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all ending in forward slash blindlawrence. Be careful of the fucking wall! Check out his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Lawrence Ross. Become a fan of the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash lross1987. I'll send your shiny happy ass a friend request. Rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes, or follow the show on Spotify. I search Lawrence Ross. Get out and take your Sacagawea dollars with you. This week's edition of the Lawrence Ross Show has just hit the brakes. Keep your ugly fucking gold bricking ass out of my beach community. You lose! Good day, sir! I was making radio shows for fun. Everybody does it. Everybody I know does. Shut up! And baba booey to y'all.